Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Well, here we are again, folks, back with cinematographer Mike Ferry, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and the director Brett Eichenberger, also known as Big Ike, and myself, Tobe Johnson. Thanks for joining us, and today's guest is Joe Bielart. Now, Joe Bielart, Joe Bielart, Joe Bielart. He has a, you know, a short scene in this documentary, and he talks specifically about what bothers him and how he bigfoots. And that's kind of all we get to know <laughs> is what irritates the hell out of him are blob squatches, which are the bane of any Bigfooter's existence, or blurry pictures, blurry creatures, which is also another great podcast. Go check out Blurry Creatures at blurrycreatures.com. But he also talks about what he calls the uh, Sullivan Hukins principle, a principle he follows where 200 I believe he said over 200 hours of boots on the ground research to get close to the wildlife. Now that might explain some of the theories about, you know, these people that say they live with the phenomenon, it comes to them, well, they're already there with the 200 hours. So that kind of holds true with me, but we don't just stop there with those specific stories from Joe. We get into some other territory, surprising territory, I don't know what that says about our interview skills, guys, girls, ladies, men, but you know, we're getting some stuff out of these guests. They want to talk deeper. And I know some of this is on the cutting room floor, but I'm always pleased at the end of the end of these interviews of what they've said. You know, they sometimes say things they may not should have said, and yet they say it. So this is one of those times. What'd you guys think? Oh man, it, it was great. It was a great interview. And, and, you know, so many of the people, to be honest with you, that we've um, featured in the film um, have had maybe 10 years, a dozen years, 15, 20 years max. Um, and Joe, you know, he's going on his 30th year Bigfooting. His first sighting was in 1993. So you talk about a wealth of experience and knowledge this guy's got it. You know, he's kind of literally has seen it all and done it all. And, um, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, that really comes through tonight in the interview. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, he brings up some names of people that I met initially, including Lee Trippett, who is a physicist at the university of Oregon. And, uh, these are all names that you need to know if you're into the Bigfoot lore, including Joe Bielart, who's, uh, this accomplished author, uh, has this great book out called Oregon Bigfoot Highway. We talk a little bit about that, but you know, he's also a neighbor of yours, Jill. I mean, some of these people that you interviewed are just down the street from you and um, you know, pretty easy interview, but he offered up a, 
an invitation for us all to go to one of these hot spots. Are you up for that, Jill? I cannot wait. Um, as soon as that came up, I that's all I wanted to talk about. But he had other pressing things to cover. But no, we're we're definitely doing that. That's happening this summer. <laughs> but fun. you know what? Oh. But I don't know. Um, well, yes, I will have fun. Uh, but he mentioned <laughs> the way that when they do these uh, these uh, excursions, they're sleeping outdoors, like under the open sky. And I don't, do want, about I don't want bugs to like crawl in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, but this is the Jane Goodall approach that you yeah. guys come on now. Aren't no. you guys okay. hardcore? No bug I'll, do it. I'll, no I'll bug need it. I'll need a GoPro like strapped to my forehead <laughs> as I sleep. Joe, I Joe needed one just to tease a story. Yeah. He needed yeah, one no strapped kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. Are you are you yeah, a no, wuss yeah. as well? Are you not? No, no, sleep? heck no. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go out there. I'll sleep out under the stars. I'm all about it. Yeah. I need a tent. You're all about <laughs> bugs crawling in your mouth. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not much of a bug guy, but you know, I'm about experience. And we don't really like an experience. We maybe have the occasional slug and moth, maybe the occasional bat, but we're not maybe mosquito rich. <laughs> maybe um nematodes those little tiny biters that get on your arms i think they're called but um or gnats but you know you can also crawl on a hammock i'm sure joe has a list of ideas for you including uh, the eventual tent but i've never been out in the woods with joe bielart uh, there was a time when we would meet at a place called patty's home plate uh, joe bielart was a part of my little bigfoot history so anyway you can check out his book at Oregon Bigfoot Highway on Amazon. He doesn't want to talk about it, but I say go check out his other book previous to that, Blood on Bigfoot Mountain. It sounds like a winner to me. Uh, Joe Bielart's just a cool guy, and we really get into it. Don't forget to check out our doc. Watch it more than once. You can watch it on Tubi. You can share it with a friend. You can share it with the friend you love. You can sh- take it to a family reunion, put it up on the big screen. It's yeah. like a multi-level marketing uh, pyramid <laughs> thing. You just right. have to show it to two people who will right. show it to two people. <laughs> right. And, 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 yeah. and if you if you buy a sweatshirt or a t-shirt or a coffee mug, you your, your job gets even easier because people will mm-hmm. see it. Where would they get said mug? And uh, <laughs> BigfootDoc.com yeah. forward slash shop. Bigfootdoc.com forward slash shop. You can get all your hoodie gear. You can get your t-shirts, flash of beauty, uh, whatever you want. Yes, Jill. Hey, hey, I'm I'm just gonna say it. So the the printer, the screen printer we've been using, uh, double barrel printing based in Vancouver, Washington. They've been doing the shirts and sweatshirts for all of our events. I like their their stuff better than what's available on the website. So I will be putting in an order uh, for the upcoming McMinnville UFO Festival and also for the Forks uh, Festival at uh, the Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) So if you want one of our sweatshirts or T-shirts, message me, find me on Facebook and let me know because I would you will thank me because these shirts and sweatshirts are so comfortable and not that the ones on the website aren't, but I just think they're a lot cooler. 
No, yeah. let's be honest. Most stuff online really is not high quality. And uh, coziness matters, especially in these trying times when you want to just put your feet in the bed and sit back and watch Bob Barker. Is he still with us? I don't think he is. But let's go ahead and talk to Joe here and get our interview started. Joe Bielart. All right, with us now is Joe Bielart, author of the Oregon Bigfoot Highway. Hello, Joe Bielart. Well, hello, and I'm very honored to be here. I really appreciate the, the time you're giving me, so thank you. Now, Joe, we didn't get into it in the doc. We got into uh, a couple of things that you said in the doc, which are still pretty important, but people should know that uh, he doesn't like to be called Mr. Bielart. So, Joe is an accomplished author, and he has a book that, gosh, it's damn near five stars on Amazon, and he has glowing uh, comments on here. I just got off of Amazon, was reading some of the comments. Well, before we get into what the uh, Oregon Bigfoot Highway is about, people can kind of guess, I'm sure. Um, Let's talk a little bit uh, about Joe, not only in this documentary, but how you got started looking into Sasquatch, because you've been in it for quite a while. I've been in it for uh, since Christmas Day, 1993, uh, just driving around up in the hills with my uh, two two young nephews at the time, very young, and looking for deer late after Christmas dinner. Uh, and uh, it was uh, southwest of Corvallis, Oregon, be the easiest way to look at it northwest of Eugene and uh, I didn't even want to see it it was uh, it was just a uh, I said we rounded a corner and people have been up there with me since then and like Todd niece about 30 feet away possibly even a little closer in a blowdown there's it used to be a huge blowdown there and a uh, fir tree blowdown Blowdowns make really nice, soft nesting areas. And I said to the boys, I said, look, a bear. But uh, unfortunately, the bear stood up and turned around and looked at us. And uh, after a total of, I, I have a lot of training in timing things. It was about 15 seconds, maybe slightly longer. Um, and the bear looked at us and, uh, step, took two steps, got out of the, out of the blowdown and, uh, walked off into the rainforest, the rainy forest. It was raining. And, uh, I just put it away because I didn't even want to see, I didn't really want to think about a big naked, hairy man walking around in the forest. I, I really didn't. And then years, a few years later, we had a branch that I was going to, to talk to, or check with people yeah, up in North Portland. And across the street from a place I stopped to have a Coca-Cola was Ray Crow's bookstop, bookstore. And uh, he had a big sign of, thing in the window about Bigfoot 
And I went in there, and that was my real introduction to Bigfooting. And I kept going back in to race, and I'd buy track records, and I'd buy small pamphlets and stuff. But he had an original John Green hardback with good paper, with good with a good dust wrapper on it. And he only wanted 50 bucks for it. So I walked in there one day and I plunked down $50 cash money because I didn't want him to know who I was. And uh, he gave it to me. And that was the biggest sale he'd probably had in like 10 years, if not forever. And then he, he really started hammering me. What, 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 why are you interested in this? Why are you paying so much money for this stuff? And uh, that's how I got started. He said, come to a couple of our meetings at night. And then I went out to Carson for a meeting in 1998. And that's when I met Peter Byrne and some other notable people. And uh, I kept my head way low for many, many years. Actually, there's no real reason to keep your head up much. Because uh, uh, if you do... Uh, if you keep your head up a lot, as you know, as a medic, uh, don't work out very well. So anyway, uh, I just puttered around with it. And then uh, as I got towards retirement, I started working on uh, some books that I couldn't have possibly have worked on during uh, resp my responsible years, so to speak. So anyway, that's how we got Oregon Bigfoot Highway. And uh, I've written uh, three fishing books and two bamboo rod books, too. So it's not my only book I've written since I retired. So, And, Joe, you have a publishing company, too, right? You do a little publishing and editing once a year? Well, actually, my wife owns that. And it's a very selective, small. Right. And, and the... And the uh, uh, Fishing books were published by another mainline producer. But you were curious about helping other Bigfooters kind of get off the ground and looking into oh, sure, other sure. books coming out. And uh, that absolutely, kind of explains absolutely. Your, yeah. I, for instance, I did Tom Powell's. I edited his book. I did uh, Dr. Russ Jones uh, uh, edited his book thoroughly. Thank God. Uh, on the Stone Man, a wonderful, wonderful book, but, you know, wasn't really smooth put together. I've done, uh, I've done four other edits, and uh, editing is, uh, especially with people that, I had one person that sent me a book in for an edit, and she didn't want one word changed, and I go, I'm sorry, but this is a really great book, but uh, you can't have it in this. I'm not an English person. I, I mean, when I was, I was chided at one time by English being my second language. Uh, <laughs> but I said, uh, you know, we really need to do some work on this. And that's the last I ever heard of her. She said, send my manuscript to this other person and, uh, and that's the last I heard of her. So it was you know, a good, it was a good, it was really a good man. Oh, Rob Alley, I did. Oh yeah, I did one of his books, 
And I've also edited his uh, new, sometime he'll be published, uh, uh, major northern, northern, far north book on, on the subject. Uh, I can't remember who else I've done. I'm looking up the line. There's one, two, three, four, five of them up there that I can see. So, And just to mention real quick, Dr. Robert Alley should be poking his head up into Forks Memorial Day weekend. I don't know if Joe's going to be up that way, but we'll ask him a little bit later. Joe, you mentioned Ray Crow. Um, you know, for the people that are listening to this and maybe only know Flash of Beauty, don't know about the, you know, the the players in this community. Ray Crow was a true player in this Bigfoot community long before me. Uh, the last time I saw Ray was, I believe, um, just north of Portland at Patty's home plate where he had these monthly meetings. It kind of was the precursor to what I started to do as well. Something that we did that we call Bigfoot and beer where, you know, you could put these Bigfoot witnesses in a, in a place that they felt comfortable to talk about things that were true with basically their neighbors. And that's what this place was. And so, um, you know, meeting you and, and hanging out with you and getting to know you and Tom Powell and, and Cliff and all the Portland crew up there was certainly I identified with, um, you know, all of your energy to do stuff like that. But, uh, I don't want to steal the microphone away from Jill, Mike, and uh, Brett. Do you guys have any questions here? Yes, go ahead. I have a I have a question. So, Joe, you talked about. I mean, of course, in the movie, you talked about how you know the story you just told about how your nephews were with you on Christmas night. When when did you come clean with them about it not being a bear? <laughs> well, I never did. Oh, you never did. Really? I've always told them it was just a bear, and they've, they've come up on figuring it out that later that I said not. I mean, why are you going to take a 8-year-old and 11-year-old and pump stuff into their head they don't even need to think about? I mean, honestly, this... Yeah. I mean, I just really, figured, just, I mean yeah. they're, they're what? In their 30s now, right? They're in their 30s, right. Okay. Um, and the, the follow-up question for that is... Um, it sounds it sounds almost like it really kind of disturbed you quite a bit. Um, what were your what was your thought process in the days and weeks after that sighting? Hey, if you were walking in a park and you saw a man that was over a person that was over seven feet tall, covered in hair, bare ass, naked in the rain, about four thirty on Christmas afternoon in the headlights of a full-size Bronco, how would you feel? I mean, give it a break, pal. I mean, I'm, I don't mean, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate the question very much, but anybody that's gonna say, especially with the stresses that I had been under for years, uh, I mean, I you, you just don't even wanna see something like that. So it's you just- It's haunting, uh, yeah, you know, it's haunting. Yeah. Yeah. And people have people have contacted them and they keep saying it's a, I told them it was a great big bear and that's what it was. So, you know, it's uh it kind of hangs over you like a little nasty uh, uh black cloud. But I'm telling you the story is is uh as it as it 
best as I can remember it, and it's pretty pretty accurate. And Todd Neese and a couple other people have been up there with me, and we've measured out the distances, and finally a logging company took out the tree because it was a very valuable tree uh, when they did some logging nearby. And uh, and uh, I can still take you up there, and the, the root hole is still there. Um, was this just out of curiosity was this nearby to mary's peak uh it was about uh that's a good question in fact it's kind of interesting uh it's about uh, to the south east slightly of green of mary's peak is a place called green mountain and it was on the uh, just to the north of Green Mountain is a place called Flat Top Mountain. And it was in that general vicinity between Green Mountain and Flat Top Mountain. Gotcha. And you can see you can see both those mountains very clearly if you're driving down the uh, I-5 and just look over to Mary's Peak and you'll see a mountain of flat top and you'll see a nice dome mountain it looks like an ice cream cone. That's Green Mountain. And it was kind of between them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking is it had to have been in that area. There's lots of sightings up there on Mary's Oh, jeez. I guess so. Activity. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, get, once, you get invest, once you get investigating it, it's yeah. shocking. Well, Stan uh, Avery talks about that, too, about how, you know, they, he grew Stan up does? in Philomath. Yeah. Well, he grew up in Philomath. And, uh, oh, Stan grew up in Philomath? Uh-huh. And he oh, talks about that. his, yeah, you'll have to ask him, uh, hopefully at Beachfoot this year. And Stan talks about how his father would, you know, his father was police chief of Philomath and he would, they would talk about the big stinky apes that lived up in the woods. Oh, that's why I recognize that name. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> his father would talk about the big stinky apes that lived up in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, I think I know that's that's quite amazing, quite frankly. Yeah, and this is in the, the 50s, 50s and 60s. This is the 60s is when that would be, yeah. High school because of a little glitch in there, uh, in the, the way, the, way the, the, the school districts went. So, but I, I grew up about seven miles south of Flomath and am very well acquainted with that quaint little logging town. Hey, Joe, this is Mike. Um, so what were your thoughts on Bigfoot before this sighting? Were you open to the idea of it being, you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. You weren't I even thinking about it. So this, I, I didn't even care ahead. about it. I didn't even, I didn't, uh, since then I've come to the basic realization. It's kind of like UFOs and ghosts. Uh, but before that time, I just plain didn't think about it because I, I had better things to do really than chasing after, uh, hairy men in the woods. But you immediately went to, you know, you, you, did you go immediately go to this is Bigfoot and, and you just explained to the kids that it's a bear? No, no I, I didn't. Uh, all I knew was I saw a very large male primate human type person uh, 
with no clothes on, wandering around in the woods. Now, given the propensity of modern men to use mind-altering substances, I just figured, and I was intensely involved in that investigations when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, I just figured, I don't, I don't even want to know what this is about, okay? I mean, if it's just a guy on drugs wandering around in the, in the woods or a guy trying to be a shaman out there, I, I just I just put it away. I didn't even want to think about it. And I, it was really unfortunate that I actually bumped into Ray Crow's bookstore because uh, that kind of, we had that branch up there. I had to go up there every, every once in a while to check on things and, you know, industrial is industrial stuff so so joe what what was it then that got you back out into the woods investigating well actually that's a that's an extremely good question uh i like the woods i like to go to the woods i like to go camping i like to at one time just for a mental exercise I memorized 200 different star constellations and names so I could go out in the, in the summertime and, and fall and, and early spring and watch them. I've got, I've got books up there. I've got a, most people can't identify more than four trees in the woods. You know, I try and identify a lot of them. I fell into uh, the graces of a, of a fellow that knew a lot about nature, uh, natural foods that humans could eat. Uh, I fish, I used to hunt, I used to hunt uh, my high one year filling family tags, no, sp no, no spotlighting, no road hunting. I, I had seven deer. And the family said, and, and that included, uh, uh, I, I did use family tags. And we had a couple of ag tags. But uh, family finally said, don't shoot another one of those damn things. Uh, but uh, I used to go up and I enjoyed, I didn't really enjoy hunting, but it was, it was something that I could do. And, uh, and, uh, so I, you know, between it all and, and a little bit of rock hounding and panning for gold, and there's about a million things you can do in the woods. But what was it that shifted? I mean, for, from that first encounter that was so troubling, I mean, how did you how did you shift your mindset to want to go out into the woods looking for Bigfoot? My mindset is just like the five expeditions we have already scheduled this year, plus the two or three that will come up naturally that I'm plan I, I plan on, is that we're going out to experience the outdoors, but it's not, in one instance, the one on south, on the southwest, slope of crater lake that is to look for bigfoot okay uh, 
but the majority of my outings are are to uh, do something else besides look for Bigfoot. I, uh, I I know that's kind of an evasive answer, but if you pay attention, the the key is is I've been doing this for over twenty five years, almost thirty years. Okay. If you go out 20 times and you find one thing, one thing per year that you can attribute to Bigfoot, that's probably the real deal. Then over 20 years, you've got 20 things you can talk about. But if you go out 20 times in one year looking for something exact, you're going to go back and go, boy, I screwed up, I failed, all right? That's the way it works. So you got to also, when I go out, like the five expeditions this year that we're thinking about, they're all well-planned. They're all based on altitude, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I... I, uh, altitude and various other factors and uh, and and it's also a certain level of camaraderie um, you know I'm almost 76 years I'm within two months of 76 years old so you know I need to get out there while I can and it'll be a few more years I'm sure because I try and keep going but uh, but uh, no you don't go out and just look for Bigfoot because you're going to be vastly disappointed and I keep my glasses on and I'm now I understand why you all you look tremendously more beautiful than you did okay sorry to be such a thank you Joe hey Joe I want to ask you about uh your part in the documentary, you mentioned the Sullivan, it is the Sullivan, uh, Hukin's law. Hukin Sullivan. Hukin Sullivan principle, and you're a proponent of said principle. 200 hours, boots on the ground, and then maybe the, we'll use the word animals, will come in. Are you alluding only to Bigfoot in that animal kingdom? Are you just saying in general, was were they saying and you know the the wildlife will come in once they get used to you in that area for 200 hours or more uh number one uh you can call get you can get animals in easily using you can buy bear bait from trapper supply houses you can buy all kinds of things jim hukin was a wildlife biologist career biologist for the state of Oregon. Uh, Jack Sullivan was a career high school science teacher in the north, in the district just north of Salem. Okay, these guys knew what they were doing. And they, their principle was based on 200 hours of feet on the ground, being aware of looking for what you can see about Bigfoot. And one, I can't remember, one claimed 12 and one came claimed 13 sightings. But neither one of them, the, the uh, 
sightings were very brief, very discernible, but neither one of them could get a camera on them. And I talked extensively to both of them. Jim, I, I really enjoyed Jim. I, and I enjoyed Jack very much too, because he lived just south of me, few, uh, you know, 30 miles. Uh, but they didn't be able, they weren't able to really get a photograph of them like you'd, you'd hope. But if you go out there for 200 hours and you're really looking and paying attention to things, you can probably see a Bigfoot. Now, here's another thing, okay? You go out there for 200 hours and you look for a six-point bull elk. You tell me how many six-point bull elks you're going to see. And the answer is damn near none, okay? Unless you're looking at them through a telescope. So... Anyway, these guys knew what they were doing from the 70s through the 90s. And uh, them and Lee Trippett down, and his group down in Eugene at the same period, uh, 60s through the 90s. Uh, these people really, they were out there when I think there were even more of these things than there are now. So either that or they knew what they were doing better and if you sat and listened to him you could not sit you could not sit and listen to lee or jim or jack long enough to to appreciate what they were telling you i'm so, sorry if i i'm sorry if i ran off on that so no no joe um Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time in the documentary to put in your other story that I really, really wanted to try and fit in. And that is the fact that you have had subsequent sightings and experiences that were pretty profound. Um, and um, you know, at some point in the future, we hope to make the entire interviews available to folks out there that are interested in kind of going through a Bigfoot research boot camp and uh, one day, hopefully soon. Um, you'll be able to see this Joe's entire interview where he talks about this story. But can you tell us a little bit about the time that uh, you were camping and you had an experience, another experience with a Bigfoot? Oh, I've had several experiences with them. And I want to thank you very much for putting me in your film. I thought you did. I thought you edited it down excellently. Thank you. Uh, you and Jill I, and, and Mark was in on that, too, I think. Uh, Mike. Mike, okay. Sorry about that. Um, now you now now this is not for this is not for putting on the uh, on another film, okay? I've seen one subsequent, okay? And it's in a very selective place. You folks now that I've gotten to know you, I would take you up there and let you sit there and watch the stars go overhead and uh, listen to the owls call. But uh, one night, one came into our camp and uh, we knew it was out there. It'd been, it'd been there before and uh, stood around the fire pit, even though it was only, we hadn't, we hadn't dumped 
water on the coals, but it was it was safe. So there was still a little heat there. Went over and watched my friend sleeping on his. He was. We slant. We sleep outside if at all possible, either in the back of my truck or in open, or on cots. And I watched him. And then in the moonlight, it came over and watched me sleeping in the back of my truck, but I was awake. Um, it was about, by our best estimations, 12 feet away. But it wasn't like what you might think. It was more like a grizzly old man. Big, but strong, but uh, certainly not ape-like. And it was trying to communicate with me. Now, this is not for publication, okay? Uh, it was trying to communicate with me. And I, I knew it was trying to, and I, I, I tried as much as I could telepathically, which I have no telepathic abilities that I know of. And uh, finally, it, uh, I guess, got disgusted and... Uh, turned around and walked down the road. And in the morning, uh, David and I uh, went down and found the tracks where it walked off the road and into the forest. Um, that one was also about a little over seven feet tall. And you folks are welcome to go up there with me as long as you, uh, as long as you, uh, I, I don't think anything would happen, but maybe something would. We'll keep it a secret. There's a bunch of other things that have happened, like, 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 giving out offerings. Okay. I've got photos, and I wish I would have. If I knew we were on uh, on this thing, I would give you photos of. They love pies and pastries, and. Uh, my wife baked a pie one time and put it in a glass pan and set it out. And we put, we do a very specific thing. We put either put rocks on either side of a paper towel or a piece of aluminum foil to keep it from getting uh, mildewed. And if they come, what they will do is they will leave. In one instance, they left the pie plate with the paper towel setting under it less than the width of the computer I'm sitting on, the laptop, 17 inches away. In fact, probably closer. Uh, it had brush marks. I, have, I had connections at the time. I sent it back to the area of Washington, D.C., and they said it had whatever it was, licked the pie plate clean with with a tongue that was very raspy and reminded them of a pig tongue. Uh, we've also gotten prints, and he's given me permission to say this, Mr. Chilcutt, Jimmy Chilcutt, the fingerprint expert, and uh, he said that they the prints that he saw were if they were, they were akin to, to uh, uh, pigskin gloves. 
Well, I can go. I can go on and on I, with with uh, things like this, but I think that's probably give you a little bit idea of what's going on since then. It's very, very interesting, Joe. Thank you. And also, uh, I've also led. I've worked on a number of Cliff Berrickmans, and I've been out on like close to ten BFRO as an ex so-called expert expeditions. I've been on at least five, three, at least nine Cliff Berrickman expeditions, and uh, allegedly people have seen on two of them Bigfoots. We have a very specific thing they must follow, routine. And uh, most of them are very well, you know, you know, ready to do it, so. Joe, I wanna get into some comments um, that you've made here so far. We've talked about your comments including the principles that you follow 200 hours boots on the ground to get close to the the wildlife but then you you reiterate your frustration with something that we call blob squatches in this community and you talk about those damn sticks blurring around in the pictures and i can see your frustration i'm frustrated with that too and then brett you edit in ron moorhead's cut where he's talking about you know we were up in the high Sierras. We tried to get pictures and trying to get pictures is a fool's errands. We tried. We really tried. But these things can outfox you. I want to talk about here you are 25 years in. You got more time on the books. Maybe you'll go 30. Maybe you'll go 35, 40. These things are outfoxing everybody. You know, I hear people get frustrated with this outfoxing and say these things can kind of sense your intuitions, sense your motivations. Where are you at with that here? And do you think that is part of the attributes of why these pictures are so damn blurry? Uh, Tobe, you should be the TV spokesman for the Bigfooting industry. The pictures are blob squatches. Yeah, I spend hundreds of hours. Look at it. I have literally spent tens of thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of hours looking for these things being up in the in the mountains okay am have i given up no uh there's a reason for that and i'm not sure what these things even are right frank quite frankly because if you think they're uh an ape wandering around our, our forest, I think you're sadly mistaken. Not you, not you particularly, but in general. Um, if people think they're an ape wandering around our forest, they're crazy. If they think that they're a, a primate-type primate human or primeval human wandering around the forest, that's very difficult to uh, to accept because uh, because let's face it, uh, apes and primates are pretty much well discovered in our in our world. But yet, every single year, 
every year people report many so-called Bigfoot sightings. Uh, so what are they seeing? I, I don't know. Are they seeing something that's transitory? I mean, if you think that the human mind, now this is me talking, not you, okay? And it's not addressed to you. I do not believe, and I've only got about six years in college classrooms and a couple degrees and a bunch of other crap, sticks of craps on paper. In fact, I got an explosion proof, I got an explosion proof uh, uh, stamp, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, I think that, uh, I think we're working at, we're looking at something that might be wanting us to see them, but has the ability to not let us see them. And I am one that's very big on on Native American legends and on First Nation legends and on legends from uh, from the Amasti, the Yeti, from the from the European subcontinent east. And something is very unusual going on that these things can be seen in many cultures by many people with many different backgrounds, and yet there is no acceptable scientific proof to the human mind. Now, are we the, if you, I personally believe that the human mind is not the pinnacle of mindful existence. And that's, that's going on into uh, a different realm. But uh, I, that, that, that's, I, I, I know that kind of evades your answer, but I'm trying to say what I, I thought, so. Hey, um, Joe, this is Mike again. You kind of answered my question a little bit there, but in your, in your couple descriptions of your experiences with Bigfoot, you describe Bigfoot as more, more human than primate. Um, and that's interesting. Do you think we're dealing with, you know, a contemporary here, somebody that's on our, that's above our intellect or, or on our level? Do you think that's why we, it's so elusive, we can't find it? Or do you think it's something more, you know, supernatural? Uh, I think that it's not a primate in the sense of a monkey, and I strongly believe I strongly believe that. As far as the human ability to understand the supernatural, I'll give you a question in response to that. Okay. We accept right now that the speed of light is the ultimate speed limit in the universe. Is that, is that accurate? 
Can you answer that with some definitiveness? We, as, <laughs> we as humans have one hell of a lot to learn about the universe and about and about the uh, about things. Sorry to sorry to bother you with that, but so Joe, just to tease you on the sequel, a flash of beauty, the paranormal Bigfoot, coming soon to a screen near you, probably this fall. We attempt to answer some of those questions with science and with quantum mechanics, and we try and make it as simple as possible. We interview this uh, the gentleman by the name of Dr. Simeon Hine, who's done um, an incredible amount of research on how these things can be elusive and how they can do what they do, run fast, disappear, mind speak, blowing eyes, the whole nine yards. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but um, to answer your question, uh, he kind of gets into the fact that the speed of light isn't the fastest something can travel. And he kind of breaks it down. So he not not exactly in those words, but he, he introduces the recipe for that. So um, I feel like, you know, with technology and, and the way that, you know, even with AI now, just in the last year and a half or so, we're going to start seeing some breakthroughs um in the next few years but with that being said i think we're still a long 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 ways away from really cracking the code with these creatures do you have any thoughts on that oh i think that's uh, excellent that you brought that up um i think the best thing we can do is to go out and try and befriend them to offer them offerings to make sure that they know that we aren't trying to kill them for a sample. Um, I think that's the best thing we can do. I think that uh, that your your doctorate friend is, uh, or associate has got the right idea. I, uh, I think most of us have, from what little I know about physics, which I've had a little bit of physics and statistics and all that crap. Um, I think when people bring up quantum physics, and I mean this in total deference and respect to Ron Moorhead, because he brought up a really neat way of trying to translate it into something physical. But I think most of us have very little understanding of what quantum physics is. In fact, most of us have very little understanding of what physics is. Most of us have very little understanding of what electricity is or electron movement or how to control them. Um, thus, the uh, multitude of electronic gear that's right in front of you right now. Uh, I mean, uh, I, uh, I, I think that you're bumping into uh, an area that uh, I've thought a lot about and that I'm very open to and that uh, that's that uh, uh, what was that movie? Uh, 
TV thing um, so many years ago. Um, not Star not Star Wars, but uh, um, Golden Girls. No, I don't no, know the uh, the uh, <laughs> we, William Shatner and all those guys. We, oh, Star we, Trek. Star Trek. And there you go. You know, they they tried to they tried to approach this stuff in ways that people could understand, and it was laughable. Now I'll tell you how far away I am from technology. Back in those days, I was at Oregon State University, and they had a 25-inch color TV at the student union, and Star Trek came on at seven or eight o'clock or nine o'clock, and we had such limited reception with our TV out at the, at the ranch that I would sit there and watch Star Trek, and that's how I got to no Star Trek, but it was so far away from anything I could handle, I didn't even think about it. But I remember the uh, one episode, which is, well, the, the, the thing with the little furry things that multiply all the time. I knew you were going to say that, Joe, somehow. That, the Trouble with was, the Tribbles, I think. Trouble with the Tribbles, yeah. And then the uh, ones where the people fought each other, but they're black and white was on the wrong side you know i thought that was so tr trivial I, even at my lack of understanding of things natural i thought that was so trivial from growing up on the ranch i could not believe that it would be of interest to people but i sat there and watched that every night for i don't know a whole year after uh, after the library closed, plus uh, they had these big sofas there, and the uh, the uh, college kids uh, uh, exercised considerable physical abilities on those sofas. So <laughs> that was also interesting to watch. <laughs> Joe, I want to see if you. Um can remember a story here. I don't know if this is true and we can, uh, we can bump it out if I get it wrong here, but I remember hearing a story about you up near, um, the East side of Portland. I'm going to say probably Estacada. I think we can talk Estacada area. And, um, I remember hearing a story where you were near a campfire with another big footer and you guys may have had some missing time. Um, I think somebody's face got burnt by the campfire. Is any of this ringing a bell? Yes, it does. Okay. Can you talk about that and help me fill in the blanks with this crazy story? Because that's definitely not a Golden Girls episode. Um, that was such a bizarre night that I really can't. Uh, you're right about the campfire and the burning and and all that business i can't i cannot elaborate on it it was like a lost time deal yeah i we knew it happened and uh that was okay it. were you up there bigfooting let me ask you i mean i imagine the person you were with probably you were bigfooting you were up in the no woods. no actually no, no no okay 
he was a nature photographer and he was photographing um, what the hell were uh, mountain beavers. Um, and he was also photographing some other stuff. Uh, beavers uh, in, I knew of a real nice, really good beaver pond. I mean, that's where we were. And he wanted to see uh, beavers working on the pond at night. So that was what that was from. And uh, I am under absolute, I, I cannot, I cannot tell you his name at all, period. And, but it was a very, it was bizarre. It was, it was absolutely a bizarre lost time night. Were there strange lights associated with that? Was there any Bigfoot sign? Was there anything strange that happened that you can remember? No, not, not that I can remember. Okay. I, uh, I can tell you this. And I shouldn't. When you get uh, really close to these things, sometimes time takes a break and space takes a break. And I, for you and for Jill and for Mike and, and for I can't remember the other fellow's name. Brett. Brett. You know, I'll take you up there and maybe once out of a thousand times, well, once out of a hundred times, once out of ten times, something will happen. But there might be a time when there is just lost time. And uh, trust me, you'll know it when it when when it's done. And I, and you, you will have nightmares beyond your wildest dreams for years afterwards. In fact, just thinking about this show last night, I had, I had one that uh, was really, really, really uh, beyond my Marine Corps names, dreams. So, uh, but you're welcome to come up with me. And, but nothing will happen. That's what I always tell everyone. Nothing will happen. We, uh, we've had some interesting incidences ourselves, Joe. So we might surprise you. <laughs> you <laughs> seem, to, seem to attract some interesting stuff. Um, I, and, and, you know, one of the things that we found out through all these interviews and whatnot is it seems like once somebody has a Bigfoot experience, they're kind of tagged. They're like in the system if you will. So um, we've noticed that phenomenon. It's kind of like, uh, you know, once we found out Daryl Adams had been struck by lightning, we thought, oh yeah, that could be a catalyst. He could be, you could have something about him that's electromagnetic that kind of sends a signal to these creatures that he's one of the good guys or something. <laughs> well, I know uh, a, an acquaintance of mine who's really into these things and it knows them a hundred thousand times better than I do. He says that I have a connection to them. And he says other people have a connection to them. And when you leave your house, they know when you're leaving and you're going up there. 
and they have certain expectations from you. And how this gentleman knows it and he's part Native American is beyond me. But what you're saying is probably 100% accurate. Uh, they make a connection with people and uh, that 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 when that happens, it can be looked upon as a blessing or a uh, a blessing or something else. But uh, I look upon it as kind of a blessing because I don't think these things are out to harm you. I don't think they're out to hurt you. And uh, I think of anything they want to teach you something. So yeah, this. This reminds me of um, a conversation uh, Jill and I just had not too long ago. We were invited on uh, an ESPN outdoor radio show to talk about A Flash of Beauty. And I kind of got sidetracked into the forming thought of um, our previous guest, Rich Germo, who's uh, in the documentary as, as well as you, Joe. And Rich makes the point much better than I did that his word is as good as gold when he was a police officer as far as the um, going into court and testifying as a, as a expert witness. And you're no different. I mean, you're, you're an expert witness in all sorts of things, especially comes to your military background. You worked at Hanford. Um, you're an expert when it comes to engineering and I believe in outdoor wildlife as well. Um, but yet you've come to the same conclusions like so many people in this documentary that are expert witnesses that something else is happening here and here we are again butting up against the strange because you know i'm not an expert in anything i just care a lot right i just ask questions i just refuse to go away and <laughs> i see that something really effing strange is going on with the bigfoot community and the bigfoots so, you know, you've said so much in this podcast, and I'm so glad you have, and you've alluded to so much. And, you know, there's a, there's a gray line that we're all walking here with the comfort of talking about Bigfoot and the witnesses we're trying to protect. But my question to you is for the newbies, because I feel like I could have saved so much time just meeting Joe. What do you tell the new people that want to get into going to look for this? or go have an experience? Uh, first, uh, just to give you a little bit deeper background on me, I hold a top secret clearance from the government, okay? Uh, it's been cleared by the FBI, et cetera, et cetera, if not hired. Uh, so I don't, I don't normally just say something to say something. Uh, also, when some of my words are worth literally millions of dollars worth of engineering advice, you, you got to be careful on what you're saying. What I tell young people that are looking out for this stuff is to go out and enjoy the outdoors and to study the trees and the forest and the fauna, the flora and the fauna, 
the night sky to enjoy a camp out and maybe once in 20 times something will happen. The other thing I tell them, and this is just drives me absolutely berserk, is that people say that I've heard a Bigfoot. Well, if you don't, if you don't listen, it's a good thing to do in the winter time when you got nothing else to do. Go to the Cornell McCauley Library of Animal Sounds and listen to all the animal sounds. Okay, and you'll find an elk and deer and and owls and all kinds of other animals make all kinds of sounds. And the only thing that you really should take away from that, as far as Bigfoot, even though it's interesting, is that if it's over 10 seconds long, it's not a bear and it's not an elk. So if it's more than 10 seconds long, then you might have heard something from a Bigfoot. Now, the other, the other thing is, is I put my money where my mouth is, and I've got a $200 TASCAM, and I got a, little, a more economical unit I bought for this year, and I can put out two recorders and I've, I've put out recorders for years. And it's the biggest thing to learn from that is I lost a bunch of recordings because I didn't, I had them backed up, but they were backed up on tape and <sighs> they're gone. So you said, you mentioned a, uh, if it's longer than 10 seconds. We were handed a cassette tape by a gentleman that will be in our next documentary that was recorded down near Florence. That is 17 minutes of screaming. And it is one of the craziest things you've ever heard. It just keeps going and going and going and going. He recorded it with a little Sears and Roebuck cassette recorder about five or six years ago down there. Well, that's excellent. Uh, the first thing that I would say is look for if the recording, if the thing takes a breath in between, okay? Uh, if it's a, that long a recording, uh, yeah, that's uh, paranormal for sure because uh, nothing, can, nothing in the world, can, including whales, could exude that amount of, of, of uh thing so there's got to be some uh breaks in there someplace yeah there is there's there yeah. there are definitely breaks but it's it's just one howl after another I've, i sent it to you tobe i believe well, yeah i remember hearing well, that it's, seven, it's seven, wild 17 sound. minutes i 17 think there's minutes. multiple weren't there multiple ones i think so yeah it is just it's hair raising no no i i that's good that's a good one that's a I would rate that as a real good one. Joe, I was going to oh, yeah. ask you about multiple real quick here before we let you go. Uh, when it comes to audio recordings, one of the things that I was um, reminded, and I think that is true, is the fact that when you get audio, when you get suspected Sasquatch audio, 
and cross your fingers if you get Sasquatch language or if you get Sasquatch vocalizations that sound like more than just calls, whistles, whoops, and whatever else mimics. Um, is it your opinion that when you get audio, there's more than one afoot, that there might be a pair? I think that normally speaking, uh, especially when they're near humans, that there's more than one afoot. And uh, I, I, I can go on about this for quite some time. But uh, sure, you're going to end up bumping into one single, as a single thing. But uh, most, most animals, if they're alone, they will stay silent and try and avoid the so-called adversary. If there's someone, something near them that they value, they will try and warn them off. I think that's basically military press up, okay? Um, so I think that, uh, and I can go on and on about, I can, I, I, I you know, that's up, up in Big Bottom, that episode. Uh, I, 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 yes, I can, I can go on, but, uh, well, and people uh, can learn more about you too, through the work that you've already done. And, uh, the best way to do that is go check his books out on Amazon, including blood on Bigfoot mountain, Oregon, Bigfoot highway, which we have these Oregon stores all around here. You know, when back when we had well, malls, we had more don't, Oregon don't, stores. Don't even bench, mention Blood on Bigfoot Mountain. Oh, it's too late. That's a classic. Go check oh. it out, including oh, God. Oregon. That, that's so embarrassing. That's so no, embarrassing. Joe. You, you got to promote everything that you've done because it's an automatic classic. Um, you know, I was, I'm really into this interview that we just did. And, um, you know, I'm surprised by some of the things that we got into. I I would like to make this a part two eventually, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Joe. And um, I'm going to take you up on your invitation. I've got my own invitation standing with you as well. Joe and I have some plans in February 2024 to uh, to be continued, I guess, on that one. We'll talk about that one off the record. Thanks again for coming on with us. and. As I used to say, and I'm going to say it again, I will see you in the trees, man. <laughs> I, uh, you're walking up the mountain, and I got five expeditions lined up already this year. So if you're up, if you're down this way, let me know. Uh, first one starting the end of May. And uh, well, we'll take you up on the one maybe in June and, or July. And, and and I really appreciate. Uh, the flash of beauty things. It's, it's, uh, it only took me almost a year to watch it because I don't watch these things. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I record this stuff, but I never, I, I, I rarely, rarely look at it. So I think, was, I think this is number 79, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, it was an honor to have you in it, Joe, You and you added a tremendous amount of wisdom and knowledge. And so thank you for your experience and expertise. Really appreciate it. 
But I wanted to ask you about Skywalker, Skinwalker Ranch. <clears throat> the guy I knew that uh, knew a little bit about that 25 years ago was Eric Beckjord. And uh, if you don't know him in the Bigfoot community, mm -hmm. I mean, he stuck his finger in the light foot in the light socket way too long. He's still there. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. just to let the audience know, we can see each other on camera and uh, Brett is clad with his uh, Skinwalker Ranch uh, merch on right now. So Joe's got full eyes on that here. Oh, well, geez, <laughs> I like I like Eric a lot before he passed on, unfortunately, but uh, I really liked him. But uh, that was my primary introduction of Skinwalker Ranch. So. Anyway. I think there's a little bit of Skinwalker Ranch uh, that we can kind of tease. Can we tease the fact that there yeah. might be something coming up with Skinwalker? Yeah, there's a little bit of Skinwalker Ranch in the in the it's getting kind of skinny in part two. Yeah. yeah. All right. So stay tuned, place. Joe. I appreciate your time, man. And um, I just stay close to the phone, and um, you know we'll be calling you, and vice versa. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. This has been a Resonance Production Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at BigfootRevealedPod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering the Flash of Beauty universe, you can watch our documentary on most major streaming platforms.